0: So, Jake, I don't think I ever told you about a conversation that I had. Oh, my goodness. How many years ago is it now? It would have been back in 1999, maybe 2000. Yeah. Well, Mm. we were both working together with that nonprofit in Halifax. Right. You and I were spending, like, almost every day together. One of the folks, she took me aside one day, and we were having coffee. It was sort of out of the blue. And she said, so, um... I just have a question about Jake. I said, "Yeah, okay." I, she said, "Yeah, I'm um, just wondering what he does." Well, we do the same thing, you know. We we just get out there and we work with people or we help them get their housing or I well, you know, whatever needs to be done. She's yeah. So I, you know, he's got some qualities to him. I just was wondering why why do you uh, why do you need to involve him so much in everything. (laughs) I said, this is hurtful. (laughs) That's why I've waited this many years to tell you.
1: This is a podcast where two old friends, both Canadian, one black and one white, and both men, explore what it looks like to adopt the mindset of an inclusive society. Instead of asking, how do we get there? Jake and Chris discuss, what does it look like to act as if we're already there? Welcome to the Disorienting Dilemma.
0: So I said... Well, I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Well, you know, he's not. He doesn't always show up, and sometimes, you know, he says or does things, and just people are curious. Just, you know, why it's important to have him as part of the, the work." Now, I at the time, you know, I thought, "Well, this is very insulting to Jake, but it was all about me." I I said, uh, "Why? Why? I don't even." What do you mean? Like I, I, I took it as I had a character flaw for choosing a partner who, obviously, in her, her estimation, was not—I don't know—qualified. I don't even know what the criteria was because you were doing a ton of just, work, just, right? Just like, helping people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how the the conversation ended, but I've always thought that that was. Sort of a, a knock against my insight. I, I made it all about me, which is probably why I never bothered to bring it up to you because I thought, well, it doesn't – it's not really about Jake. You know, it's about me.
1: What's interesting is as you're telling that story and
0: I'm slowly weeping inside. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, I, no I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know. It idea. comes across hurtful. I. Yeah.
1: No, no. Uh, what's interesting is as we're talking about it, I'm thinking – yeah, I guess we were working. Like when I think about workplaces and, and, and spaces where people do stuff, Yeah, you know, you go to work, you go to the office, and then you have – the lines were really blurred back then. Like where the workday ended and where like we, oh. were, we were picking up food and moving folks and uh, helping people get medication and starting job creation programs. Like it just felt, if I think back now, I wonder where did we have the time to do it? Like we were planning things over the supper table. We were doing it, talking at breakfast. Like when I'm thinking about it, I feel like it's two parts. It feels like a personal attack, but then I'm like, I guess it's kind of a weird conversation about our work. I just never have separated those two things until right, right now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I haven't either. Because we were completely immersed in sort of the rhythms and the patterns of the community that we were working with. Yeah, I would never even describe it. I, I this is, I maybe uh, why I'm having a hard time framing it because I can talk about moving people and uh, and for everybody who's listening, we worked with communities affected by poverty, mental illness, addiction. Some of them were returning citizens, that kind of thing. And work would be strange, so yeah. we'd help someone get a place to live. And the slumlords would take first and last month, let them stay there for a few weeks. Then they'd get evicted because they were, quote-unquote, too noisy. But it was just a sort of money-making scheme, right. you know. And so we'd go find somebody to rent us a truck because we had no budget or no money. And I didn't. Jake, you and I weren't even getting— paid really at the time no. it was sort of very intermittent based on donations and we had other jobs that we were doing as well, trying to build this nonprofit out. So yeah, it is difficult to describe the work because it wasn't showing up at a desk and finishing a project. It was what is going on in the chaos of our community and how do we be a part of it in a way that helps other people?
1: Yeah. And the question is is weird, right? Like when you're asked why does Jake have to be a part of this? Yeah. I'm like, a part of it? It was like my whole identity. That it, it yeah. part of it, it was me. Yeah. So it's 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 weird. It's a bit of an exclusionary kind of question. Yeah. I don't know what the intent was. I'm I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. But it's an interesting question.
0: So I, this many years back, I think it was, we want to build a brand. We want to do things in the normal way and make things look normal, like a normal right. nonprofit. And Jake's not who we have in mind for that. Now, I didn't know what they had in mind for what normal was, let's say, or what regular was or anything. But it, it has this many years later left me with the thought of, There's sort of an unspoken norm that people have in their mind about the way the world works. And that dynamic, I guess, was one that people questioned. It's just that because I was me, I'm, you know, 10 years older than you, I'm white. I guess it was just sort of you, we understand. And we don't understand. So let's push that to the margin and spend more time with what people will understand.
1: Well, that, make, that makes sense. It does make me think of the times where we were intentionally going out to be provocateurs of some, remember um, Reverse Day?
0: I loved Reverse Day. One of my favorite days of the week. It seemed to change, but I think it was almost always a Wednesday.
1: Wednesday, middle of the week. We set out and saw this as work that we could do together. Co-founders, collaborators Mm. that, uh, you know, this idea of nonprofit, someone had to be the president or vice president or secretary. Like those were things that were really foreign to us. We just had no sense of that. But we knew we wanted to do this work together and we were just working at it, making a difference, learning from each other but it didn't quite fit when we would go out and talk to people about trying to secure a donation or so we would show up and even though we believed that we were partners yeah <laughs> everyone would always look to you Chris as the older white right
0: you're, the guy, charge, you're, right? you're yeah. the guy in charge, right? You're the guy in charge. right?
1: You're the boss. And so every re- you would be so uncomfortable when that would happen and we'd yeah. get back and then you'd apologize. I don't know why they keep doing it. And maybe if you take the lead or maybe if you speak up more in the beginning or we just couldn't figure it out until we came up with every Wednesday, it didn't matter. Let's go in and just wreck, <laughs> just, just flip the tables. So Wednesdays, there was Hell. no disputing. In fact... We left making sure they thought I was the boss
0: on Mm -hmm. Wednesday. That was great. Yeah, I'd open the door for you. We'd we'd actually plan out (laughs) some things together. I don't know, Jake. What do you think? And they they would look over. No, we're not going to do that. Okay. Yeah. And (laughs) they were like, well, who should I be talking? What is going on? Talk about disorienting dilemmas for people. We were Wednesday. Were basically we would create those for remember how
1: unsuccessful we were at getting donations on Wednesdays, but we would get back in the van and laugh and laugh laugh at how uncomfortable we made folks, and then drive to the next (laughs) one. So yeah, no, it wasn't the most efficient day in terms of trying to secure resources for our mission, but kind of like many years later, it was fun. Yep. We were doing our own uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work early days.
0: Yeah, we were forcibly addressing some of these norms that people have by yeah creating confusion and chaos. So today, we were going to talk about bullying in the workplace, and hopefully it relates to the stories that we've just shared, because some of bullying in the workplace isn't the kind of schoolyard bullying. It's just people have expectations, and when... People don't play those roles. The the whole system sort of conspires to say, yeah, why is he in that role? Right.
1: One of the ways I think that shows up, though, when we think about bullying in in two different spaces, sometimes you're right. I think there's this idea that bullying stops at like just before you go into middle school. Like it's an elementary. It's like for kids. It's We think bullying. We think playground, teasing. But people who feel it, you may not be able to articulate it as bullying, but you feel it at its core. At some level, there's some kind of exclusion, yeah. this being left out. And sometimes it's unintentional, sometimes it's intentional. But I think the feelings stay the same regardless.
0: So is, so bullying can be unintentional, intentional. Intentional is this aggressive kind of intent to identify that person, isolate them, and move them out of a group and identify them as bad or some, some sort of negative. That doesn't necessarily always happen in the workplace, and when it does, you can probably see it. There's this unintentional bullying where, how would you describe that in the workplace, when, just this, to understand it, what bullying looks like?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's that, that being left out. And when you point it out to folks, they go, oh my God, that wasn't what I meant. I, I didn't mean to yeah, yeah. have that happen. So a friend of mine told me about when she joined this workplace, mostly male-dominated field, and she was well-received, right? They were tr- trying to make strides in terms of their equity hiring. And in all of the official ways, you're part of the team. This is how we do it here. We're happy to have you here. And then hockey season came. Mm-hmm. And all the men were invited to the hockey pool. And she told me, well, it's not related to the job, but it's a key piece of the mm. social thing. Yeah. And I just felt like I was being left out. And then what was awkward about it is these are all really good guys. And so I, because I didn't think they knew that they were intentionally leaving me out, I thought that I wasn't being asked to join it because I am a woman or because maybe I don't like hockey. Like no one asked. They just made a whole bunch of assumptions. And she talked about how some of the same ways she would get in- excluded from the uh, after-work socials when the guys would all go out for a drink. And that, well, she would have liked to have been asked. Mm -hmm. So I think there's sometimes there are these unintended. So how does that become,
0: because I I might have to make a confession here. How does that become bullying versus, I don't know, what would you call it? Non-inclusive behavior or just not being thoughtful? Bullying tends to have this kind of stick or name calling, kind of throwing stones, pulling the hair. Or is it all bullying? In your mind,
1: I think the effects of bullying can certainly be felt. Folks will recognize feeling, you know, really surprised. I'm really surprised at that. I'm, I'm shocked. I, I might even be a little bit angry that that happened. As they process, there's probably a core set of feelings that people have associated with the incident before they figure out whether it was intentional or unintentional. Mm-hmm. I know how I feel. I know in this moment that I'm feeling kind of I'm not included. I, I'm feeling a bit vulnerable here. It affects my confidence. I'm frustrated in the way that doesn't seem fair. And it's unsettling. I think that stays with people as they read the interactions. I'll tell you tell you a quick story about, it's not bullying, but it's every bit the unintended consequence, I think, of a person feeling left out. I'm the godfather to my buddy's two-year-old daughter, Zanaya, And I went over to their place a couple months ago and we're, we're sitting around and he says Zania, why don't you go give your uncle Jake an and an me I'm kind of looking around I have no idea what and me is but Zania kind of stops playing in her little with her toys in the living room and toddles over to me and throws her arms open and uh, it's very obvious with that gesture that I'm to bend down and she gives me a hug and she says and me and she walks back to, and goes back to her toys and I look at my buddy I'm like oh I didn't I didn't know what to expect when you said Ann me like that, where's that from? He goes, well, it's the weirdest thing. We, he and his partner, they were standing in the living room and they were in embrace and they were talking and kind of in this hug moment and Zanaya's is over in the corner and she looks up and sees mommy and daddy embraced and they're talking. And she says, and me, and comes across the living room, throws her arms around their legs and they embrace in a family hug. And in that moment, I'm thinking like, How amazing that is that, you know, at a two years old, not only do you recognize this sense of being left out or wanting to belong or being part of something, but could actually vocalize it and put words to it to want to be included. And so that family was shaped by this new sort of phrase and me to mean inclusion, to mean love, to mean expression of belonging and connected and nothing about that was intentional nothing about that there was there were two folks involved in an embrace connecting with each other and it's still unintended the unintended impact was someone was left out
0: so bullying at its core is a way to push some people out of a group an in-group let's say and make them the out-group so as a child you can and we all probably all did make fun of someone for some reason that pushes them out and and so when it comes right down to it, bullying is about exclusion.
1: Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I I think so. It can it can be weaponized in a variety of different ways, right? We can be really overt in those ways that we exclude, and we can use a lot of angry uh, actions and, yeah. and and be really terrible. And that's going to gonna get you excluded.
0: HR, right? That kind of yeah. yelling at someone or mocking them in front of others. You can you're going to get sat down, and someone's going to say. We're going to mitigate this risk and either you're going to stop or you're going because we can't have this kind of over bullying.
1: Right. So it tends to be more insidious. Yes. Uh, These are these everyday ways where people are not included and, and pushed to the margins.
0: Right. These are these everyday ways where people are not included and pushed to the margins. Right. Right. Okay. So the unintended exclusion, still bullying in that it's kind of built into the System or the constructs, and it allowed that woman to sit down and say, Look, there's a norm out here. Jake doesn't fit it. I'm just wondering why you think he does, right? Like, and it was a subtle kind of, We're ready, we're if we should push out a little, like it's there's is there a place for him here? Framing it that way, I would definitely see that as systemic bullying or. Exclusion. Exclusion, for sure. I think it is systemic
1: exclusion. exclusion. It's taking stock of the situation and asking those questions in very frank ways. Is this the right person? Do they fit? Do they belong here?
0: Yeah. Right? So identity theory would suggest that we all have groups of people who share an identity or traits. And the more traits that are similar, the more affinity we have. So same ethnicity, same language. If we grew up in the same part of town, went to the same school, same religion, same, 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 same. And our parents, oh, they're so similar. The more affinity, the more we are automatically open to say we're the same. And I can trust you. There's a trust that comes with that. The less affinity I have with another person, the more they seem like the other. And to protect the group, we may want to identify the other. We're not really good. We're not hardwired. We have not evolved as a species to be good at that. And just to give you an example, I said I was going to make a confession. Maybe I will here. I come from a family of five there's five siblings, right? So it's me, a brother, and a sister, and then two sisters who, who were born later. So the earlier sister had to hang around with the two brothers because that's what the parents wanted. You guys go out and play. I don't want to mm-hmm. see you all day. So it's a different era. It was like, get out don't come back <laughs> I need a break kind of thing right but we didn't want to play with her because she didn't run as fast and my friends didn't want her around because at that age when you're young like I'm talking eight or ten you know you you kind of identify strongly by gender and but she just didn't fit as well in the, in our little minds kind of thing so we would call her names and we would run faster and we never attacked her I if you said to my little ten year old self, Chris, you are bullying your sister. I would say, no, I'm not. I bring her. I don't tell her she has to go home, although I would say, why don't you go home only after she complained. But that kind of thing, that's the overt bullying that we're talking about. But it comes from a sort of built-in tendency to want to be with people who are more like you. And then everybody around, not, not one of my little friends said, what are we doing here, guys? Why why are we treating her this way? What is it about her that's making us act this way? To work? You just don't, you can't break out of your paradigm, your your context, your, your reality to kind of have that insight when you're little. And it's weird because it doesn't get easier when you're older. It's really, in my mind, it's really hard to see because I, I rationalize any sort of exclusion, even now that I may participate in unwittingly, I rationalize as a, well, that's just a reasonable affinity-based decision. Because we, we like our cliques. Yeah,
1: I, well, I think that where you ended is probably the most powerful part is that there are support groups and systems and structures that enable it. Bullying one-to-one is probably, yeah, it can happen. Uh, and it does happen. But there's probably a lot of underlying other issues going on there. But oftentimes there's a social bump. Right. So when you're talking about your friends, your brother, there was a group that would have to condone and and wrap yeah. around. You would get a yeah. you would get a benefit. Right. There's that in group that uh, is more congealed when you are, are pushing this other
0: person away. We could all come around but, the idea of getting rid of her so we could go have real fun.
1: Right. Did you, did you ever hear of Fran Peavy? No. Fran Peavy wrote this in 1986 in her book, Heart Politics. When you were talking about belonging and, and sort of being hardwired, I thought about this story. She's, she writes, One day, I was walking through Stanford University campus with a friend, and I saw a crowd of people with cameras and video equipment on a little hillside. They were clustered around a pair of chimpanzees, a male running loose, and a female on a chain of about 25 feet long. It turned out the male was from Marine World, and the female was being studied for something or other at Stanford. The spectators were scientists and publicity people trying to get them to mate. The male was eager. He grunted and grabbed the female's chain and tugged. She whimpered and backed away. He pulled again. She pulled back. Watching the chimps' faces, I, a woman, began to feel sympathy for the female. Suddenly, the female chimp yanked her chain out of the monkey's grasp. To my amazement, she walked through the crowd straight over to me and took my hand. Then she led me across the circle to the only other two women in the crowd, and she joined hands with one of them.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: The three of us stood together in a circle. I remember the feeling of the rough palm against mine. The little chimp had recognized us and reached out across all the years of evolution to form her own support group. Oh my gosh. Right? That's amazing. Amazing. It, it's when you're talking about this hardwired connecting yeah. and, and feeling similarities. That's kind of where, I, when you were talking about that, I'm like, this reminds me of that story.
0: Okay. This is great. I, that is an amazing story. I've never heard that before. So, what is bullying? What does it look like in the workplace? It brings us to what can we do? What should we do about it? And, and I think that story is a good lead to that. Is it? Yeah. ERGs, employee resource groups, are great places to find people of, of your, again, interestingly, an in-group of shared experiences or perspectives um, where you can find that kind of support. But right. what about outside of that idea in the workplace? What if you think, is, is this a form of exclusion which could be making people feel like they're bullied or pushed out? Which is really, I guess where we're landing with bullying is it's the push out of the in-group group yeah. Um, for one way or another, either the systems are going to enable me to push you out or I can do it with a group of friends. But when I see that, or when I, oh, or worse, when I think, Oh my goodness, am I a part of bullying right here? What should right. we do about it? Or what can I, we do?
1: I, I, well, I think part of it is what we're doing right now is we're talking about it. You know, sometimes you have to, you have to name it. Yeah. You have to see, you have to see it. And then when you see it, you have to have a name for it. And so when people are being treated differently, I think there is this moment where we pause and say, I wonder if they're feeling excluded in any way. So there's, there's a lot of runway in that, in that moment to say, well, well, what's my part in that? Even if I have passively or inadvertently contributed to it, there's there's probably room to, to start making change, to tweak, to to bring people in, to try and be more inclusive. Yeah, um, and it's not an easy road back because no, I, it's I, going to be a ton of trust, communication. You might imagine that if all of a sudden today you shift to say, "Well, I really feel bad about it." How are they going to know that that's not another setup to be hurt even more?
0: Yeah, so. Yep. So
1: it's going to take a sustained commitment.
0: Yeah. And before I even get there, I'm thinking about all of the horrible feelings inside I've got to get through first before I do anything proactively to kind of undo what's happening or, or, or undo the push out. Yeah. I'm going to go to a bad place, Jake. Like I'm going to think because I know, because this happens, just what kind of person am I? Is that really it? I'm going to try and rationalize it. Okay, I know what bullying is, and I know it's excluding people in the workplace, but that's not what I'm doing. This is about performance issues. This is about, and to be fair, it may be. It may be someone has been with us long enough and the company's outgrown their ability to make a contribution. It's not a good fit for them. It's not a good fit for us. How do I know whether I'm being honest with myself because my internal dialogue can be very deceptive. I have a cognitive bias to rationalize my choices to make myself feel good about myself. So h- how do I, do I sit down with someone a, a bit, <laughs> maybe a bit bit like what I'm doing with you and I'm not advocating go find your black friend and ask him, am I a bully? But, no, but having conversations and just putting it out there for other people and not your not your fan club either, like going to my mom, mom, am I a bully? Right, yeah. That's not going to be constructive.
1: Yeah, You have to find people who will tell you the truth. Yeah. I tell you the truth in a way that you can hear, so there's a bit of radical vulnerability there, okay. The problem I think with some of this is the ripple effect that it can have, so even though we talk about it in the workplace, yeah we're all humans we We take this stuff home, so yeah. there's a yeah, 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 you yeah. know if I'm feeling excluded and you know I have all of those kind of feelings of vulnerability or loss of confidence or when I get home, I probably, I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm irritable with my, my family. You know, I'm the kind of person who gets in my car, drive to work, and I have to talk myself getting out of the car, walking across the parking lot to say, I just got to get through the next day. I need this job. Like it's in a miserable existence as an outsider. Mm -hmm.
0: That's good for me to remember. Like I might be thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible, but this is the hard work of moving from in relationship to these kind of ideas, unconsciously incompetent to Mm -hmm. consciously competent, and there's all these bad feelings, there's shame feelings, there's anger, there's frustration, there's pushback. If I can in that moment remember that it might be just as miserable or worse for the person that I'm wondering, am I doing it to, that might generate enough empathy to say, okay, this is part of being anti-racist, anti-exclusionary. I've got right. to deconstruct myself and it's going to be painful and, and feel bad.
1: Yes, I think that's absolutely right. There's a lot of pain to go around in these situations, yeah. pain to get out. There's pain into it. And I think about, you know, those support systems that people build outside of the workplace just to cope with what they're feeling. Often those folks that you talk to it's your partner it's your kids it's your best friend they can give you an ear but they can't do anything to affect change mm. they can commiserate mm-hmm. and, and then they get frustrated mm-hmm. look if it's that bad why don't you quit yeah like what why are you still there you come home every day and tell me how hard it is there just quit and they're they're responding out of frustration because they're a bit stuck in ways to find meaningful ways to support yeah. and encourage because what can you do to affect change nothing
0: All right, so if somebody who's listening today has a great resource or a link or a guide or anything related to bullying in the workplace or feeling of exclusion and maybe in in particular finding your way back from that, like as an individual to do something about it, maybe in yourself or if you see it, we would love it if you shared that with us in the show notes or drop a comment in because I have a lot to learn. Yeah, me too.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the RW Institute, produced by Daniel Parker, recorded remotely in Los Angeles from Baltimore, Maryland and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Be sure to subscribe so you can keep up with the conversation. Care to react? Submit your comments at rw.institute or on the comment feature where you're listening now.